0: I, I, you know, I finally sucked it up and bought a pair of lederhosen. Oh my God. I got the... I'm, I'm, I'm going full, I'm going full, uh, I'm going full of manna.
1: The only style of beer that I would say is bad is any beer in which peppermint is used. So now I have this really expensive case of beer, like lukewarm chicken and no sides. like a three-time loser. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Hey everybody, Todd Meisner from the Talking Picture Studio. We are in the basement studio today and we're talking to Tim Hines, the visuals editor of the Sioux City Journal in Sioux City, Iowa. Now, Tim is a fabulous photojournalist, but he also writes a beer column. So we want to talk about beer as much as we want to talk about photojournalism. I and mean, secretly, I really want to talk about beer more than I want to talk about photojournalism. So stay tuned. It's gonna be a great episode. Here we go.
0: Tim, help you?
1: Tim, Todd Meisner.
0: How you doing, Todd? I'm
1: doing great. How are you? My eyeballs hurt from looking at photos. <laughs> That's the price of being the visuals editor of the Sioux City Journal.
0: <laughs> that is uh, that that is that is definitely the the blessing. Maybe I don't know if I'd have just uh, if I'd have just started editing that time lapse. As I went, instead of waiting to the last minute, my life would be good. But you know how that goes. Time is a precious commodity.
1: The, since this is a photojournalism podcast and I have Tim Hines of the Sioux City Journal on the phone, the visuals editor, I want to know, I've got to, I'm, I'm obligated. It's union rules to ask you photojournalism related questions until we get to the real topic that I want to talk to you, which is your beer column. But anyway, so how are things at the Sioux City Journal today? journalism wise
0: you know, you know things are going well. Uh, the journal, like all of the all of the newspapers in America, are facing some challenges. I just said that uh, the time is the most precious most precious thing that we have here, and and that'd be the truth. You know, we've uh, we've got a lot of work to do, uh, not a lot of people to do it. So so time is the big issue. But overall, we're I, th- I think we're doing well. We're ho- we're certainly holding our own here.
1: Well, that, that's good to hear. I, I know that that's the same way it is for us, is that you, you have the, re, you use the resources the best you can then hope it all comes out in the wash, I guess. First of all, can you do me a favor and introduce yourself in the sense of give me a, a quick history of Tim Hines?
0: Well, certainly uh, the long long saga starts uh, in Williamsburg, Iowa, just uh, a little west of Iowa City, uh, which is my hometown. I started working for the Williamsburg Journal-Tribune newspaper when I was a uh, junior in high school. That would have been 1982. Uh, Initially, uh, just shooting high school football games, high school sports, and uh, got a part-time job during the summertime doing uh, that photography, as well as uh, doing some county government reporting. Um, enrolled uh, at Iowa State University as a journalism major. You know, went back uh, the first two summers to work at the Journal-Tribune as sort of a fill-in managing editor where I did a lot of reporting, a lot of paper, page layout, and, of course, a lot of photography. Uh, throughout college, I worked um, as a stringer for the Associated Press's bureau in Des Moines, as well as I had a part-time uh, Twenty-hour-a-week photography job at the Des Moines Register, and was also at that same time the photo editor of the Iowa State Daily. Uh, gradu- uh, was was named uh, twice named Iowa College Photographer of the Year while at Iowa State, which uh, was which is pretty cool. Uh, graduated, worked for a newspaper in Nebraska, then moved back to Iowa to uh, Fort Dodge, worked there for uh, five years, and then took the uh, chief photographer job at the Sioux City Journal back in 1997 and have been here happily ever since well that's awesome that's awesome i
1: you know i i've been at the dispatch argus for 30 years opportunities sometimes have come up to leave and it's always turned out better that i didn't and so i
0: imagine is that the same for you you know i i've had i have had opportunities and been asked to apply for jobs elsewhere a couple of those i actually did apply for and in retrospect um you know, a few of them I I interviewed for and then, then withdrew Uh, a few of them. I decided, you know, that's probably not the opportunity for me. And, um, had I have been offered and, or taken those jobs, I would probably not have a job right now. So it, it ended up uh, being fortuitous uh, that I, that I've stayed here. And, and quite frankly, it wasn't a tough decision. Uh, Sioux city, um, is a is a really nice community it's about eighty five thousand people a great diversity yet still maintains sort of a hometown feel i I like to joke that it's the the largest small town in the state of iowa and you know that that's that suits me fine
1: no i it's interesting that you you i have told that exact story about jobs that have come up that have those papers are closed or those papers have had such massive layoffs that i would have been last in and first out. So it's, 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 it's interesting that our careers in that sense mirror each other quite a bit. Um, were you, a you ju-
0: know, oh, oh.
1: did you say you were a junior in high school in 1982? Correct. I was a junior in high school in 1982. So you graduated oh, in 1983. I love
0: those, I love those gold Lame shirt era. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. I had big hair. Let's not talk. I, 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 there are no, you know, there are very few, you know, people are like, Hey, how come we don't post mystery pictures, like funny pictures from high school? It's because I had glasses and big hair. I I don't want those pictures in the public bloodstream because once they're out there, I can't get them back.
0: Well, you know, my, uh, my Facebook page has a photograph shot by a friend of mine from Iowa state, uh, when I was at school, it was circa approximately, uh, 86 or so. And I had a, uh, had, had a perm in the, uh, the mustache and, and a, uh, <laughs> um, I think it was a Swiss army surplus wool overcoat on. And it was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty eighties. Awesome. Um, awesome. luckily, luckily, none of the photographs where my hair was red, which was kind of that punk rock phase. Uh, oh,
1: my hair is naturally red. Uh, so I couldn't uh, even get away with it. Do you had, you had punk rock hair?
0: well you know the thing the thing was we were all shooting black and white films so that red doesn't quite uh the, the red never quite made it to uh made it to color film but but the one of me on the side ride bus with the uh with the trench coat that that was uh some very rapidly fading ectochrome <laughs> tell me
1: about this This the, now you you alluded to it at the beginning this it's a three and a half year time lapse i'm fascinated tell me
0: about it well it's an interesting story um when my wife and i uh, finally bit the bullet and bought a house um we bought one that was about half a block away from an an elementary school now this particular elementary school um was the oldest uh in use elementary building in sioux city uh, approximately late 1800s was when the first iteration of this building uh, was first built um in the intervening uh years well let's say in the last 20 years sioux city uh, started a program to rebuild its aging aging schools they started with some middle schools and started replacing elementary schools well about uh let's say about five or seven years ago the talk came up to uh replace the Bryant Elementary School. And it kind of, kind of, the school board hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed. And eventually, three or four years ago, they said, yep, we're going to do this. So the school, there are a lot of plans floated around to rebuild this building. And the, the, the upshot was I am now next door neighbor. Instead of being a block, half a block away from the elementary building, I am now next door neighbors with the elementary building. And, and when they finally came up with a site plan, because throughout this time, we were worried that they were going to buy, this, the school district was going to buy our house and tear it down and use part of that land for the school, which ended up not happening. But when the plan finally came, I looked at it and said, you know, they're tearing down my neighbor's house, my other neighbor's house, and the school's going to be right there. Wouldn't it be cool if I mounted a GoPro to the side of my house to do a time lapse of the demolition of the neighborhood, the demolition of the old 1880s school, and uh, the construction of the new building. And that was about three and a half, maybe pushing four years ago, uh, because they were still doing house demolition when when that building was still occupied. And uh, tomorrow, Friday, the brand new Bryant Elementary School building opens for uh, students for the first time. And I am furiously trying to edit almost two terabytes of GoPro frames. Um, I did a meticulous job of cataloging them when I downloaded those images off of the GoPro camera over the course of the uh, three and a half years. But sadly, I was negligent and not making time to edit them at the time. So I'm going through and I'm picking, uh, basically comes down to one frame every hour for the time that I have, you know, sort of action, so to speak in the time-lapse. So I'm working on creating a master, um, a master, uh, time-lapse. And then I've recorded some audio of the, uh, of school administrators talking about the process of, uh, finding a site for the, uh, or finally figuring out what the new building was going to look like, the demolition progress, and of course the construction of the new building, and that's the uh, that's been the project the last couple of days. Wow! 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 Well, see, it's, you, I, I'd like to add it's it's as a photographer, you come up with these ideas. Wouldn't it be nice if? Right. But then you get to think of the logistics of it. Well, you know, I'd have to get I'd have to get permission from a landowner to put a GoPro on their house. Then I'd have to have twenty four seven access because gopros break i've i've got i'm on my third gopro
1: that was my, that was how my next get, question how long how do you get le-
0: how, do you, how do you get electricity to the thing the gopro battery might last an hour and a half or two hours if you're lucky so you need to constantly have access to this thing and you, a lot of times you know it's 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 just it's for this particular project it's not gonna be worth it well i was the homeowner right. if i were if i were the photographer going to approach a homeowner I would be the homeowner. So I mounted a, a GoPro uh, Hero 4 because that was the new model back then when this project started on a on a magic arm, chiselled out a hole to put a USB power connector in the housing and then put a power adapter Mounted a power adapter, a USB power adapter, to the magic arm, and then ran a fifty-foot outdoor extension cord to an outdoor outlet, looped it over the roof of my house, and basically hard hard powered a GoPro for two and a half years.
1: Wow! And and weather safe and all that. You didn't have? Did you have any problems with it getting wet or the power knocking down because of the water or?
0: Well, the interesting thing is I'm also a ham radio operator, and they sell a kind of a rubber-like material called coax seal. And when you put cable connectors to antennas, you use it. It's a moldable putty that's waterproof, and you use it to weather seal uh, antenna connections. And I had a fair amount of that stuff hanging around the house, and it is just perfect for weatherproofing a a power connection into a housing of a – a waterproof housing of a GoPro. So it rained. It was up – almost the entire time it went through blizzards and rain and, and, uh, it, uh, it, it survived. Wow. It, it was, it was a, it was a lot of trial and error cause I'd kind of hinted around with different photographers that have done time-lapse. Well, how do you do this? And I've had, a, I think I've, I talked to a photographer that had done a, uh, a two or three day time-lapse, but no one had ever done that much that I was aware of at least locally that I could connect with. So it made sense, you know. The the, the housing itself is waterproof. I had to uh, notch out, cut a basically drill a hole in it to put the USB power connector into it. I also, I had I had the GoPro backpack, the the auxiliary battery, uh, so that gave me a bit of a cushion. But I just powered the thing and used the coax seal, and it, it, for the most part, it worked. There were some issues. It would uh, the Wi-Fi would mysteriously just plain stop working randomly and you know there might have been there might be a stretch of two or three days when the thing was not working and when I was not aware of it. But fortunately two or three days over the course of three and a half years. Yeah, you know, long as it long as it didn't happen during the demolition of the old building or the major part of the construction of the new building, it pretty much seemed to not make a difference. There were also times in the winter when there was no visible activity going on where I just shut the thing down.
1: What are you building it in the time lapse
0: you know what I'm doing the editing in uh, in photo mechanic uh, just to go through everything because mm. I can click through photos like no one's business and right. sort them because, you know I had some firmware fa- failures where the camera just for whatever reason i don't know whether it took a uh, you know took some static electricity or there might have been a nearby lightning strike or something I had to reload firmware five or six times, so mm. there were some issues that way. Uh, the plan was to uh, create the master timeline uh, in photo mechanic it's right now the folder has some more on the order of 15 12,000 photos in the master timeline right now of course that'll be winnowed back and you know i might just drop those into uh mpeg stream clip to create mp4s out of them and then stitch multiple mp4s back into mpeg stream to further condense it you know i might take it into final cut and uh and, and compose it that way with, uh, with the help of, uh, our multimedia producer here. But you know, that's kind of where I was thinking about going on that. It's going to be fairly basic. I, as I said, I have audio of the administrators talking about the building and that'll just be, uh, that'll just be dropped into the background. How long do you think in the end it will be? I am shooting, I am shooting for seven minutes because, uh, most people have the attention span of a photographer. So I'm <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to condense it as much as I can and still do justice to it. So there might be, you know, there might be a lot of um, condensing of time during some of the periods where there's not a lot going on. You know, it may be only one or two or three frames per day when there's a lot of stuff going on. For example, the demolition of the existing, the the previous Bryant building, you know, that might be 20 or 30 frames in a day. How many, depending on going on
1: how many frames were you having the what was the rate in which the camera was working
0: uh the the hero four uh the would only uh, the the slowest i could make it was one one frame a minute
1: okay wow that's a lot of frames
0: And you know i'd try um when i got up in the morning i'd or when i got home at night I or when the construction was done, I'd try to remember to turn the camera off. And when I got up in the morning, I'd try to remember to turn the camera on. But I have a lot of uh, 400 frames of darkness where I just left <laughs> the thing running.
1: Well, who knows? Maybe a coyote runs through the scene. You never know.
0: Well, it was amazing. Uh, the neighbors' house, the uh, the the school, the school district uh, bought their houses and allowed them to live there for a dollar until the point where they were getting ready to tear them down. And after, they, after, the, after, the, after the neighbors had left their had, – had moved out of their houses and demolition was imminent, it was amazing how many well thieves actually broke into the now vacant houses and stripped them of copper. And I, you can see some of those in the GoPro. I mean not enough that you can identify anyone, but it was just very interesting what goes on in the neighborhood, uh, especially at dusk. Yeah, it, w- it was interesting. I had actually uh, uh, a well-dressed older couple, mid-sixties, pulled up with a trailer and went into the neighbor's house and was were pulling all kinds of stuff. And I said, Do you, "You got you got permission of the demolition company?" "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." And uh, uh, two weeks later, I talked to a guy from the demolition company. Oh, "Nobody, nope, nope, don't know anything about that." So there you go. Just uh, interesting.
1: Any other hot projects on the horizon? Anything interesting now, that your readers are going to be excited to see that you guys
0: are doing. Well, our uh, Justin Juan, our multimedia producer, is working on a uh, semi long term project. I don't want to uh, kind of let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, but uh, he spent a lot of time working with uh, with some families to do a to do a topic that's uh, fairly timely. It's uh, actually it's uh, grandparents who are raising grandchildren.
1: Oh, that's an important topic. I I I know of a couple of families. My wife worked with someone who's because of various problems. Their um, the grant She works with the grandparent, and they're helping to raise um, their children's children. So,
0: and a, that is an uh, that's exactly topic. what uh, that's exactly what Justin and uh, Dolly Butts, our health reporter, are working on right now, and that should that should land in the next couple of weeks. And they've been really, uh, they've been really, uh, busting it to get that done. And the, uh, the visuals, there's a lot of, there's a lot of video stills and significant video, and it's going to be a a really, really nice bit of package, a nice package, nice, nice journalism for those two.
1: I'm excited about that. I, I follow Justin on, um, on Twitter and he's always got something interesting to say. So beer, Let's talk about beer. How did you become? I'm just, you know, I'm just pussyfooting around the photojournalism. Let's face it. I mean, blah blah blah, photojournalism. We take pictures for a living. Blah blah blah. Hey, let's talk about what's really important. Beer. Um, How did you become? How did you become a beer writer or a beer columnist? Well, you know, you can you can
0: blame our parent company for that. Uh, it It actually happened It happened in Davenport. All good things happen in Davenport. is that not true
1: that is that is true. I'm here to officially f- salute the flag and say that is a true statement
0: well let's 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 broaden that let's let's call that the uh, the quad city areas the entire the entire metroplex over there. Right. Um, we're talking two thousand and six, maybe early two thousand and seven. Uh, Lee Enterprises brought together publishers and editors and online editors and visual people for a series of uh, uh, seminars about the impending digital revolution. Keep in mind, this was 2006, 2007. And uh, they had uh, – we were sitting at a conference, and we'd gone through all of our, our meetings. Everyone was going to tell us – everyone was done telling us uh, – yeah you know, what we need to do we need to ramp up video we need to yeah you know, the stuff the stuff that we're now doing a lot of this these were the seeds that were planted in in two thousand and six and we'd gotten done eating and uh, of course they 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 pass around drink tickets and there's a bar and every every person gets a drink ticket and it, it so happened I was seated at a table with our uh, with with workers from our sister paper in Madison, Wisconsin, and for some reason I don't know why beer came up. And I, it, it, I shock am was was, I'm shocked. I am
1: shocked. I am simply shocked. Stop the podcast
0: now. I am shocked. I know a bunch of journalists in a room, and beer would come up. He would, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Never in a million years. But I I, I started an argument about <laughs> some kind of beer from Iowa. Being just as good as some, just as good or better than some sort of beer from Wisconsin, and that got the that got the capital, the Madison people all kind of out of the shade. It was it was good nature, it was very good nature. But you know, we're kind of going back and forth like a little fencing match. And my publisher, who was at the table, if you think you know so blah 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 much about beer, why don't you write about it? You know, because we just had a whole bunch of seminars about podcasts and online blogs and vlogs and all kinds of stuff and well heck that sounds like a great dodge i can i can i can research beer at work yeah uh, on the online sort of <laughs> and, and 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 talk about beer and here's the publisher giving me the okay and uh so i started writing about beer in 2007 um and years ago, celebrated the 10th anniversary of the, uh, it's called Subaru, uh, after Sioux City, uh, beer blog. It was mm-hmm. one of the first newspaper-based beer blogs, certainly certainly the first in the state of Iowa, one of the first uh, in the Midwest. And that's how it started. And in fact, I even, you know, I wanted to make this thing legit because I wasn't trying to, I didn't want anyone to think I was uh, pulling a wool over anyone's eyes. I actually got permission from uh corporate hr you know, i said you know because i i said you know some of these places are starting to send me samples of beer and it's against company policy to have beer in the office yeah that's that's a pretty it can be a pretty it is a pretty serious offense so I, so you know you write about beer so that's okay you're not going to get busted for that so that all got squared away and i've been doing that ever since um you know, I'd mentioned that time is the precious commodity in the journalism business. I'm not able to do as much as I did in the past, but uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of cool things happening in the in the uh, the beer industry in Iowa, and of course, uh, being in Sioux City, I cover South Dakota, Nebraska, a little bit of Minnesota, so that it's it's been kind of fun.
1: Wow, I am I did not know that it went that back that far, um, though I am not surprised about the drink ticket thing or the arguing with the people from Madison about beer. Um, The the next best subject to to argue with the people from Madison is football, but that's neither here nor there. I have a lot of Wisconsin fans in my family, so some years they're frustrated by Iowa's victory, and other times they gloat, and that's the way it goes. I try to be a good fan and keep my mouth shut, because my wife wife tells me to.
0: in, in, In all fairness, I have to say I love Wisconsin. Cheese beer what's not to love
1: well that's exactly right and it's nice that i have all those relatives up there because i can stay for free and a lot of times drink for free so that's (laughs) you know if i play my cards right and i'm really nice at christmas was the beer if you think back on this beer that you were arguing about was it an argument about spotted cow because spotted cow to me is just not as good as everybody says it is
0: you know for for uh spotted cow um for that style of beer is killer good beer. I mean, it is it is one of the cleanest, um, cleanest, best examples of that style, certainly in the Midwest. You know, as craft beer drinkers sort of evolve, people tend to. I mean, it becomes a touchstone beer, but people evolved to the IPAs and the stouts and the sours and the different things that are going on there. But um, yeah you know, the largest, the largest selling beer in, in, in Wisconsin and understand that Miller and Miller Lite are based in Wisconsin. That's saying a lot for that beer. I, I think it's very good. But that said, when I go to New Glarus, that's general, when I go to the brewery in New Glarus, that's generally not what I, uh, what I buy when I take the tours, uh, much more apt to buy one of their sours or, uh, Uh, even Fat Squirrel, their brown ale.
1: Oh, I love Fat Squirrel. I'm actually out of Fat Squirrel currently. I have a few staghorns left in the beer fridge. I'm actually currently, as we speak, drinking Sprecher's
0: Oktoberfest, which is quite good. Um you know, I used to be able to buy Sprecher in Sioux City, but they've kinda of pulled the uh, pulled the beer out of the Sioux City market. You may still be able to buy it around Iowa City, but I, I kinda of miss that one. And and to get back to your original question, I think the argument was over Capital Brewings Blonde Doppelbach. Oh, that's a
1: good beer. What were you arguing for? Oh,
0: I, I was arguing that it was uh, probably one of the best ones that I'd tasted, but at that time, um, I thought it was a pretty uh, overbearing flavor. Again, talking about how craft beer tastes evolve. Right. But I've had it recently, no, oh, no, it's just a good, solid blonde Doppelbach, But at the time, I remember just being a powerhouse of a, a multi-powerhouse of a beer that that I enjoyed and really liked. But it, I was having a hard time. You know, it was like. Uh, you know, it was like reading uh, Homer's uh, uh, the the Iliad or the Odyssey. You know, you 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 stagger through the thing, and you're, you're better for you're better for having finished, and you actually learned something and enjoyed it. But man, the process of doing it was just tough.
1: Well, let's stay up in Wisconsin for a minute and talk about Central Waters Bourbon, um, their Bourbon Barrel Series. How do you feel about oh,
0: that? Oh, oh yeah, the, that what is that Peruvian Morning? Yeah, I think I got the right. Oh. Oh, you know, they they had some misfortune with that beer being uh, getting infected for a few for a few years in a row. Uh, the last batches they were oh stellar, my, one of my favorite beers.
1: Oh yeah, I, I didn't know anything about the the, the infected uh, batches, but I that is one I that I I have. It's currently the the basement is just full of beer. This is where the the podcasting studio is, and and where all the beer is, and, and my wife's candle supply in case that you know we run out of candles. <laughs> But uh, I the beer outnumbers the candles, by the way. Iowa breweries, I have been in the last few years incredibly surprised by the experimentation, the risk taking, and the quality of and the no, sheer number of breweries in the state of Iowa. And they're you know, like, you go to the Iowa tapas, you you'd spend, like what a year in there and not drink everything they've got on tap. But I'm just amazed. I mean, you've been doing this for 10 years. You've seen the el- the evolution of Iowa brewing. And how does that look from your perspective from the macro view? Or yeah. Macro view. Well,
0: let's let's uh, let's do kind of a deep dive. Let's let's go. Let's kind of go way back in the history books here. Um, so we're going to, we're going to keep this kind of quad city centric. Okay. Uh, if you want to go back, we're talking forties, fifties, sixties here. So there was, um, the Sioux city brewing company that, um, went out of business in 1959 Purchased went out of business, uh, before that, um, uh, Black Hawk Brewing Company in Davenport went out of business that left one brewery in the state of Iowa. And that would be the, uh, Dubuque star brewing company, which is renamed the Pickett Joseph Pickett's brewing company, uh, which had a couple of the names. I think it went back to Dubuque star brewing company. Eventually, you know, I'm having a hard time figuring out when, uh, Dubuque star closed, but we're, let's, let's call it early nineties. Uh, I remember, uh, one of my favorite beers in college, um, in 87, 88 would have been actually drinking Dubuque star at the M shop at Iowa state university. So if you think about that era of the eighties and into the nineties, you had, you had Dubuque star. that was uh, putting out some pretty darn good beer for a kind of a macro lager, uh, beer, uh, special with pickets, And then later with the, with the, the actual Dubuque star beer. So in 1985, um, Three people decide they're going to take a bunch of old dairy equipment, and they're going to create Millstream Brewing Company in Amana. And they actually get Joseph Pickett, uh, Joseph Pickett, to uh, come up with the recipe for their flagship beer, which would be Shieldbrow, which is now brewed today. So, you know, '85 was really when uh, craft beer in Iowa started. Now, let's let's jump back to Davenport to about 1992. So, we're talking. 85 it's millstream 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 dubuque star closes early 90s and then front street brewing in davenport opens up they are the uh first brew pub in the state of iowa and then very shortly after that um raccoon river brewing and court avenue brewing in des moines open up now um I'm, i'm going i'm using these figures off the top of my head because I don't have that information in front of me. But in approximately 2007, 2008, there would have been, I believe, 18 or 21 breweries in the state of Iowa. Uh, Fast forward to 2017 and there were about 75 breweries in the state of Iowa and two years later we're looking at right now we have 98 and we're all anticipating that Iowa will hit 100 breweries probably within the next two or three weeks. In fact, it, you know, for all I know, it could have happened now. i haven't I haven't got I haven't gotten a phone call that said it's happened, but you know it's it's quite possible it's happened now. And you're alluded back to the experimentation and the proliferation of breweries. You know it kind of goes back if you really deep dive almost every town of any substance, meaning, 2 or 3000 people in the state of Iowa had a brewery or was or or the next town over that was that size had a brewery. You know, I and I did not go back and do the research to find out in the 1800s uh, up until the series of prohibitions that Iowa had how many breweries were in the state. But really I would I would I would I, it would be my educated guess that there back in there that back in those times there might have been 100 150 125 breweries in the state you know, 100, 125 years ago. So I think it's just kind of coming full circle that a lot of smaller towns are uh, starting to have people in them that are opening up breweries as well as, you know, from, I, I couldn't even tell you how many breweries are in the uh, the Davenport metro area uh, after after Front Street and then, um, um Great River. Uh I know there are a lot more there, many that I haven't even had a chance to visit. So I, I it's just going full circle. And uh those breweries are just making just different kinds of beer to try to satisfy both the beer geeky type people and the people in those towns that are, you know, are used to drinking macro lagers that are wanting, you know, this is local. It's it's the local thing they're going in. Well, the question is, well, what do you got that's light? So they're they're making full-flavored lagers and pilsners uh, in addition to the more obscure off-the-wall beers that you had talked about.
1: Last I was in John's grocery yesterday, and I picked up triple B bourbon barrel blonde from uh Peace Tree. And, okay. and it and it's for me. I love when I find stuff like this because I'll stand there and look at a rack and looking for local beers and looking for Iowa beers or Illinois beers and something that like, I love sours. So, you know, exiles stuff appeals to me because they'll make various sours, experimental sours and various things. And then, uh, new Glarus has their thumbprint series that they'll have sours or whatever. And, um, to still the steel in Illinois has, um, their wild sour series. And so these are all kind of standard, you know, those are the kinds of beers that I stock that nobody in the family will drink. So I drink them myself and they can drink other stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, when they go downstairs and open the fridge, like uncle Todd has nothing but sours. Look in the back, look in the back. There's all sorts of good stuff back there. The proliferation of sours. Well, of course, back to, let me go back to triple B real quick. Was that I bought it on a lark? It, there was four. It was under five dollars. I was surprised that it was. They only charged me less than five dollars for four beers. I, I, that usually doesn't happen. I got it home. Got home. Put it in the fridge. Forgot about it. My wife goes, "Oh, what's this new beer that you found?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'll open it. I'll find out. I've never had it before. I don't know anything about it. I didn't even search it on Untapped before I bought it. I just Peace Trees makes some really good stuff. The stuff they made with John's Grocery that the, their anniversary beer I thought was excellent. So I opened it, poured it in a into a um, tulip glass, sat down, took a sip, was incredibly surprised that the honey, that it had a honey finish and that it had a honey finish and then I could feel this warm feeling go down my chest. And I was, it was just a really, I just love finding surprises like that. Sometimes you, you open a beer, you pour it and it's, kind of what you expect and that's nice you know there's something good about that but i love finding those beers that you're like wow i wasn't expecting this can you remember the last time you got wowed by something you just didn't expect
0: actually uh yes because it made such an impact there was a uh, uh a a beer brewed by nebraska brewing company uh in a in an Omaha suburb called Melange à Trois. Um it was kind of a barrel-aged mashup. It had some Chardonnay things going on and it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal beer. Uh, my my tasting notes from that were at least four pages long. And even wow. after I, I wrote in my review that after after all of those tasting notes I still didn't understand this beer, but it didn't matter because it was good buy it. Um, and that was my um, I don't remember what year that came up, but that was my my beer of the year for that particular year and and the next year that that beer won a great American beer festival gold medal in its category um and it was it's stuff like that it was just it it's it's seeking out unexpected. Nuggets from a beer that you may not have had uh, high hopes for or had any expectations of. I, I had expectations of the Nebraska Brewing Company beer because I was familiar with that brewery and the owners of the brewery, and I know they made top quality things. But what that beer gave me was totally unexpected and just totally blown away by that beer. And, uh, you know, is the Peace Tree beer that you had mentioned, uh, the brewer there is Joe Kesselute. And he has done some, uh, just some remarkable beers. Uh, he and uh, uh, Megan, the owner of the brewery, they they did a sake-based beer, and as far as I know, that's the only they're the only brewery in Iowa that's that's done a uh, a, a sake-style beer that's gone in – they, they never bottled it, but, uh, it it made it outside of its own tap room. You could, you could get it, you could get it at uh, the old bait shop and in the tap room. And there's some, there's some really, uh, really cutting edge things that are going on. The, the problem is most of those cutting edge things never make it beyond the tap room. So if you're not in Sioux city, they go to Jackson street brewing to taste some of the sours that he's making, or you're not at, uh, Mardo Brewing, again, here in Sioux City, um, to taste those sours. If you're in another part of the state, you're going to miss them. Uh, And and that's that's one of the things that's really cool about the Iowa beer scene. There's so much going on. It's not just a Des Moines thing. It's just not a Cedar Rapids or a Davenport thing. It's a Sibley, Iowa population 1,200 thing. Wise Eye Brewing is getting ready to open up in Lamars. Their population is right at 10,000. There is a uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the brewery. They're in Clarion, Iowa. Um, oh, it's 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 escaping me. Wonderful little brewery, Clarion. Uh, without googling the size of the town, um, can't be any larger than ten thousand. Uh, just a lot of really cool things happening in in little towns, and that's that's phenomenal. And they each are do, they're all doing these things, and if you're not there, you just miss out sour trend
1: I had never had a sour until I was in a in a brewery called brain dead in Texas and brain dead had yet to their beer they were brewing their own beer they had opened to the public but their beer wasn't ready yet so they were they had these um their tap room I think they, they serve food also but they had the coolest setup for for taps they were all coming out of 1950s refrigerator doors which I thought was extremely cool. And then they had the board, the the traditional brewery chalkboard up above. And so we'd been in there a couple of different nights on my brewery tour of Texas with my brother and who lives in Dallas. I said finally, I said okay, I've had this, that, I don't want that. I'm like to the to the the bearded beer guy behind the 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 bar. I said, "Just bring me something I've never had before." So he said, "All right." So he goes over and he pours me a monks which, you know, the traditional Flanders red. And I was, my brother hated it. My brother's lived in Germany twice. He's a beerophile. He, he meticulous about what kind of beers he likes and just really knowledgeable, but he just absolutely hated the sour. Couldn't figure out why I loved it. And I made it kind of my mission after this kind of aha moment for me with sours to find other people that made sours and i got home and i'm like who makes sours nobody makes sours and now everybody makes sours <laughs>
0: are you surprised by that trend no i'm not it's because of people are, that are having that exact experience that you had uh, where you've tried some of the traditional imported uh, flemish sours and and uh, the one of the new things now well it's not new it's a ancient style but uh gosa beers uh that originally came from gossler germany and and leipzig you know people were searching out for those sours and they were they were hard to find because they were all imports so there were quite a few uh american breweries that started doing them most notably uh new belgium with their lips of faith series the lafolies the transatlantic creeks uh that proved to be real popular but the issue with those beers is it takes a long time to make a traditional sour ale. Well, there was a brewing style called kettle sours. We could make a sour beer uh, in in a lot less time than what it would take to do a traditional fodder style sour Flemish, and it didn't require a lot of extra equipment. And so a lot of breweries across the country and especially in Iowa started making kettle sours which I think are wonderful beers uh, I always have a fondness for the traditional uh, uh, the traditional sours I, I think there's a lot. I find there's a lot more depth, of flavor and richness in those types of beers versus kettle sours. But uh, the breweries in the Sioux City area, they all make just a a, a ton of a ton of those sours, and they're they're very well executed and and really really nice and nice and drinkable beers. And my wife who. Um, is not who uh, humors me in the beer geek dumb she loves craft beer but she sticks to mostly the mainstream styles and she's she's heavily into sours now and we are we're we're having a get together this weekend and she, uh, the question she asked me last night was do we have any sours or we're going to have sours do we need to get sours she's probably you should probably go down to, to Mardo in and Jackson Street and get some sours so you know that that's good and that's that's exactly what's happening because People uh, people are seeking those out. There's a uh, there's a, a craft beer bar in Sioux City that's on the first floor, and on the third floor is a hair salon, an upscale upscale salon. And uh, he can't keep sours in stock because after after the salon closes, the uh, the cosmetologists all go downstairs to the bar and they drink a lot of sours. Um, And that's, that's something I, that's something I would have never have imagined. um, Never have imagined when I moved to Sioux city 23 years ago, when the most exotic thing you could get was an occasional Guinness and a Killian's Irish red. I mean, that was, you know, 23 years ago in Sioux city. That was, uh, that was, that was basically it.
1: Yeah. I, the evolution of craft beer is just mind boggling in that way, not just Iowa, but everywhere. I remember, I think that the, my brother came home from college. He's eight years older than I am. He came home to visit. He went to the, my parents were hard, drink, hard liquor drinkers, Brown, Brown and vodka drinkers. Occasionally dad would have a Coors Light or something. Jeff came home. I think he had, might, have, was it was, it wasn't college. I think he was living in Germany the first time and he came home and said, uh, hey, what's dad got in the, what, what beers in the fridge? And I go, I don't know. And he opens the fridge and there was just one little lone Coors Light sitting there. And he closes the fridge. He goes, let's go. <laughs> so off to the liquor store <laughs> we went. And, and that's kind of where I started to like the idea of not just from a, when you're a kid, you look at it from a beer can perspective Like, oh, that's a cool beer can, you know, because you're not allowed to drink it or you don't drink it. And, you know, old style at any age doesn't taste good. Um, And so (laughs) except, you know, quick aside, old styles, Oktoberfest, surprisingly good for being from. From old, from uh, old style, everybody who I know that understands old style from my days in Chicago, I say, no, have you tried their Oktoberfest it's 16 ounce can? They're like, uh, no. And I'm like, no, seriously, it's a four pack. They're not that expensive. Get them, get them chilled down and, and pour it into a glass and drink it. And you'll be surprised. And I had some of the most ardent Oktoberfest snobs in my family in a blind pour give it the thumbs up. I was, and these are, these are October. They take their Oktoberfest at, to a very snobby level and they, and they enjoyed it. But anyway, have you had it? Well, you
0: know, I was, I, I have not, I have not even seen that and was unaware that they had made one, but I, I was going to add that in college, one of my favorite beers, when I couldn't get to star and had money, I bought the bejesus out of special export.
1: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. I yeah, I know it now I know it's referred to as the green death but uh <laughs>
1: well it depends on how much of you drink but, of
0: it but That's this the, is true this is true but you know my my neither of my parents drank a lot when I was when I was growing up but I remember when we would go to pizza hut dad would always order a and you probably may or may not have known that this even existed budweiser dark oh i i
1: think i have the beer can but I don't know that I've ever had it.
0: <laughs> but but he, we we'd be at the Pizza Hut and he'd get a draw of uh, of, of Bud Dark. Uh, so I, I remember that. And um I, I grew up in Williamsburg, Iowa as I'd mentioned, and uh being so close to the amount of Colonies, the only foreign language they taught there was German. Um, which which of course is a wonderful language to learn and uh, and so useful, uh, but...
1: <laughs> yes, I know. I, my dad told me to take Spanish, so I took German in high school. Two years of German, high school German has done me zero good.
0: Well, it, the good it did me was that uh, that enabled me to spend three months between my sophomore and junior year of high school in Germany and the various German-speaking countries of Europe where I developed a profound... Uh, appreciation for more complex beer styles. Right. You know, I can, I can say this now because I, uh, the drinking age was 16 and I was 16. So no harm, no foul, right? Right, right, exactly. Uh, but uh, but that's where I first drank Box and Oktoberfest and the Rauk beers of uh, Bamberg, Germany. And a real, honest to God, Pilsner and a a wheat beer and the sour gozes and all of those all of those wonderful things. That when I got back to America and and turned nineteen, which was then the drinking age in Iowa, uh, and there's none of these around. There's the usual suspects. Michelob, okay, Michelob. We can drink Michelob and we can drink Special Export. And thank God for Dubuque Star and until until Millstream rolled around in '85 and you could get that, um, you know, there really wasn't much there. And I'd had that foundation earlier on having really good, fresh, locally made German beers. And, and that, that was probably sort of the genesis for, um, for an appreciation of beer.
1: When I was in college, I remember uh, it was John's Grocery for Cases of Black Label, and cases of Rhinelander and I will always remember, and Rhinelander's been re released and I don't I I don't know if it's the same formula or not, but I'm not willing to try it. Um
0: I can answer I can answer that question for you.
1: It is the same question.
0: I have had numerous discussions with Doug Alberhasky, who now owns um, John's Grocery. That's the, that's the family business. They were the largest retailer outside of the Chicago area of Rhinelander, and I remember uh, I I graduated from Iowa State, but I spent my first two semesters at Iowa. My roommates and I would literally carry four cases of bar bottles. Yep. from john's grocery up the hill to burge hall and i still have one of the cardboard uh, case boxes of rhinelander uh 4.99 a case yep. uh, um, joseph huber brewing company in monroe wisconsin uh, made rhinelander uh back during that time which would have been 83 84 it's now called minhas craft brewery um of uh a, 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 family from Canada, uh, purchased that. And they did re-release the Rhinelander. It doesn't taste the way I remember it. It could have been the romance of being a 19 year old college freshman in Burge Hall drinking beer. I don't know. It it didn't taste the same. So I bought a, uh, I bought a Rhinelander t-shirt and a couple of pint glasses and, um, we'll call it good. Yes.
1: Yes. That's right. It, it's, I remember that the, the, um, their slogan was "refreshing as the North Woods," and I used to say that wood would taste better than Rheinlander. Um, but anyway, yeah, a black label. Oh my God, too much black label on a Saturday night that'll uh, tear up your insides. But anyway, but the 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 idea that the, I think the first other of legal drinking age. I remember my brother was uh, getting married in Oregon and red hook uh before it was purchased by imbev and ruined that i remember him getting uh, and i maybe i'm maybe i'm romanticizing it maybe it was the best one of the best beers i had had up until that point in my young life but i remember it, it just was it was a revelation that this didn't taste like any beer that i had ever had before and my brother had uh, arranged for a, a a keg to be at his house for some bachelor party or something or something and I'm just like, this is just so good. And then I saw it someplace in, I don't know, the, the early 2000s. And I'm like, oh, Red Hook. I remember this is awesome. And then I had it and then it just didn't. Either the either the formula has changed, which I have heard that it has, or that it it, it just doesn't. Like you fall in love with something and then you realize it's just not that good because other things are better now.
0: And they, they they brewed a black ale, I believe it was called Black Hook, that I, I remember as being especially good. And yeah. I think they also had an ESB that I enjoyed. And that would have been weird. I'd, I'd have been in Sioux City at the time, so we would be talking 98, 99, thereabouts. So
1: what beers do you know about that are on the horizon that we should be looking for? Well,
0: What's coming down um, the pike
1: that people have leaked to you for your column?
0: <laughs> well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll just talk in generalities because I'm not aware of specific ones that are coming out. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost Oktoberfest time, you know. I. Um, well, I now finally, you're combining
1: my uh, next question with this question. Okay, go for it.
0: I, I, you know, I finally sucked it up and bought a pair of lederhosen. Oh my god! I got the. I'm, I'm, I'm going full. I'm going full. Uh, I'm going full of mana. You're going uh, full
1: lederhosen.
0: All right. And so. Uh, you know, Millstream uh, Millstream just released their uh, their Oktoberfest a couple of weeks ago. It has not, to my knowledge, made it to Sioux City yet. That is one of my favorite beers. August Shell Brewing Company up in New Ulm, their Oktoberfest is stellar. There are a lot of a lot of really good Oktoberfests. Uh, there's an Imperial Oktoberfest, that Lion Bridge in Cedar Rapids Ooh. brewed called Octobot. That is a, a stellar beer. Ooh, I've you know, not I, had
1: that. I'm intrigued now.
0: It's... It you know it, it 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 takes an awful lot for anyone to make an Oktoberfest that I really don't enjoy. Um, I have not had a uh, poorly brewed Oktoberfest in a uh, in a very long time. Um, taste differences to me come down to just flavor profile one that I prefer versus right. you know, a flavor, an Oktoberfest flavor profile I prefer versus one that I. May not prefer because it's not balanced, but I, you know, I've not come across a poorly made beer. And if it sounds like I'm dancing, I'm not, because uh, uh, if if I can get climb on a soapbox, you, you follow social media, the Facebooks, the Twitters, people be complaining about. I hate this beer. I hate that beer. Blah 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 blah. Well, you, you it may be a beer that you don't prefer. And that's that's a hundred percent cool, but there's a big difference between a beer that you don't prefer the flavor of versus a beer that's bad. A bad to me, a bad beer implies one that, for whatever reason, was poorly brewed, either because it was not brewed anywhere towards any sort of style or standard, or or standard, or one where the quality control was not where it needed to be. Uh, Maybe it had got too much ox- dissolved oxygen pickup when it was canning and that's that's a flaw that happened at the brewery or you know uh they were making their sours and somehow uh a bug got into the regular beer and funkified it and they still chose to ship it or maybe they didn't even know that it happened and it went out the door uh yeah, I, so when I when I talk about a bad beer, I'm not talking about a beer that I just don't like. I'm talking a beer that's
1: Gone technically bad.
0: and quality control flawed. Um, it's just a beer that I don't prefer the, the the taste of versus a bad beer. So I I, I want to make that clear because I think a lot of really good breweries who are doing good work get knocked because people oh that's bad that beer's bad that beer's bad well no it's not bad beer it's a one of the best brewed example of the style of beer you don't prefer right yeah I, I don't i don't i don't prefer hefeweizens and but i'm only going to call a hefeweizen bad if it's flawed right. i'm not going to call it bad because i don't like it because you know, I, I, it's not my style you know
1: you don't like hefeweizens but you
0: know, i am not a big fan of hefes because i the, the, the i find the banana and clove profile to me for my taste buds can seem overdone. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I, I drank, I drank the half and I go, man, that's, that's textbook. If I were judging, if I were a beer judge, if I were judging this at contest, that would be a, that would be a 90% beer. It would be an 85, 90% beer or even higher because it is dead on, but am I going to spend 12 bucks a six pack? Probably not. Cause it's not my thing. And that's uh you know, in my mind, that's perfectly, perfectly legit, but I'll never call that beer bad because it's uh it's by the book. Perfect. Exa- almost as perfect example as you can get of the style. Just, just not a style I prefer.
1: The only style of beer that I would say is bad is any beer in which peppermint is used. I don't know why anybody would want to mix perfectly good ice cream, which ice cream peppermint ice cream is awesome, but why anybody would want to put something mint in beer, I don't get. I get tired of people who want to sound smart to say that things are bad, but still peppermint, I don't get. Have you ever had a peppermint beer you liked?
0: I wouldn't call it peppermint, but I'm trying to think of the brewery, and it might have been a a uh, Minnesota-based brewery. They made a mint stout that was just knock you on your butt good.
1: Oh, really? Well, Minneapolis it just had a
0: just had just had a hint, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It, it just had a hint of uh, a hint of uh, uh, fresh mint flavor uh, sometimes in beers are flavored, I find the flavors can be a kind of uh, artificially tasting. Right. I mean, this one is just straight up like they took real mint leaves and steeped them somehow and, and hopped on the left foot and did an incantation and did it again on the right <laughs> foot. It was a wonder, It was a wonderful beer.
1: Well, I stand corrected on mint. There can be good beers made with mint because Tim <laughs> says so, but the one that I had, <laughs> the one that I had from a brewery that's not too far from here, that shall remain nameless, it, it's in Illinois, it's not an Iowa brewery. I thought, what the hell are you doing? This is terrible. Uh, uh, and, and I don't know, whatever. I mean, it's... Um, but
0: I've, and I've also, if, if you want to get really offbeat, I've had uh, uh, basil, Thai basil, I think it was a Thai basil Cezanne from a brewery here in Iowa. Again, I drank it not expecting that I would like it. Oh man, this is good stuff. And I heard a lot of people, it was at a festival in Des Moines. And I heard a lot of people say, Oh, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I said, Well, that's, that's, oh, I like that. That was good stuff.
1: You know, that, that whenever people talk about how much beer costs or how much beer or wine costs, now I also have a lot of wine. I, I love wine. Uh, I prefer reds, tannic reds, mostly, you know, well, and everyone's not talking about wine. It's a whole nother podcast. But there's a, there's a video that John Cleese did that talks about wine and basically takes these very expensive wines and some middle priced wines and some not so expensive wines and takes them to a party and tells them the people that the that there is one bottle in there that's worth a lot of money that they'd be tasting from. The one that they thought was the best, if I remember this video correctly, the one that they that the person liked the best, they always thought was the most expensive bottle of wine. In very many cases, it wasn't. But it's, it's really about what you like and what you enjoy to drink. It really doesn't matter how much it costs. Let's, let's
0: think about how this works here. The, mo- the most I've ever spent on a bottle of beer was I, I got a bottle of uh, Sam Adams Utopias, and I think I paid $180 for that bottle of beer. Uh, it would have been uh, the, uh, the equivalent of a, uh, no, uh, a 750 a seven fifty milliliter bottle and it, granted it was a it, it's more of a cognac than a beer although it is technically beer but that's that's the most i've ever spent um you know i have to really think long and hard uh before i you know my my cutoff point is five to seven dollars for a 12 ounce bottle of beer which kind of puts it in the in the the Bourbon County Stout right. range, um, you know, I'll I will certainly spend more money than that on a bottle, but you know, that's that's the point where I have to, you know, uh, yeah, is 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 how much I think I will like this beer worth fifteen bucks for this beer versus right. you know ten bucks. I that kind of is off the equation for yeah. a bottle or two.
1: Yeah, it, it's like the first time I found the first time I bought hundred and twenty minute, and I've only bought it once from Dogfish. it You know, it's kind of the white whale. You you don't see it. You don't see it. You don't see it. And all of a sudden there are two six packs left at the hive V, and you're like, uh, okay, here's my opportunity. I'm going to buy it. And I think that was, I think that was 35 bucks. I think that was a 35 bucks six pack. I think that was the most for a six pack I've ever spent. Um, the most money I've ever spent on beer is a hilarious story. I might've told it on the podcast before, but, um, La Folie was uh, I, I called around to the various liquor managers and found out that the liquor manager in, in Milan, Illinois would order me La Folie because nobody else was was getting the bottle. So I, he goes, well, how much do you want? Now, well, you know that you know that they're bomber bottles. Not everybody knows they're bomber bottles. and actually I didn't know when I was ordering the bottle that they were bomber bottles. So he goes, Well, how many do you want? I go, I don't know, a case. He's like, Are you sure you want a case? And I'm like, Yeah, what the hell? I'll get a case. So he's like, Are you sure? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't mention that they were bomber bottles. He just said, Are you sh-, kept asking me, Are you sure you want to order that many? So I ordered a case of La Folie Bomber bottles. And I didn't know that I had ordered a case of La Foley bomber bottles. And so I, he calls and says, your case of beer is here. I'm like, awesome. So I go out and, uh, my wife goes, Hey, can you, while you're out there, why don't you pick up some fried chicken and some sides from the deli and we'll have that for dinner. And I'm like, super. So I drive out to the IV and I get there. And have you ever seen the scene from, uh, tears of endearment where, where, uh, Deborah wingers in line and the, 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 the the uh, cash register. She doesn't have enough money and the register. She's like, you're going to, she keeps adding things and going the wrong way. And it's all very embarrassing. Well, it's all I could think of because there was this line of like five guys behind me. And I go, I, uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to pick up the the case of Lafley." <laughs> and I look down and I'm like, Holy crap. It's a case of. <laughs> her and the, and he goes, are you sure you want all these? I'm like, and I look at this long line of people and I'm like, not willing to do the math in my head as to what I really want to buy. And so I just bite my lip and hand my credit card and I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't cheap. And now I'm thinking, Oh my God, I have to come home and tell my wife that I just spent this enormous amount of money on beer um, and explained to her that I was too stupid to ask if they were bomber bottled. So wasn't, I go,
0: wasn't that a phenomenal beer? It was a phenomenal. If you're going to get a case of something, that yeah. would be the one to get a case And of. I
1: have one left. I have one left. Uh, I think it was 16. I have one that I should <laughs> open. It's ready to go. I should drink it. Maybe I'll drink it tonight in celebration of this podcast. And <laughs> And so to make matters worse, I take the bottles out to the car. And then I'm like, oh, crap, I got to get the chicken because, you know, coming home with an expensive case of beer and no chicken would have been bad. So I go and I get I ordered the chicken. I get the chicken. But I I I get home. And so I'm like, hey, here's the chicken. And oh, by the way. And she goes before I got to the by the way, she goes, where are the sides? (laughs) So I'd forgotten the sides. So (laughs) Jesus Christ. So now I have this really expensive case of beer, like lukewarm chicken and no signs. It's like a three-time loser. My wife forgave me. She still loves me. She's still married. I just heard her come in the back door. So we're still married. So that's good. Um, or at least she's living here. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that 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 is that is my my great stupid beer story. Cause you know, I don't get drunk anymore. Uh, you know, I just buy I just accidentally buy way too much beer because I'm too stupid to look that the bottles were bomber bottles and not twelve ounce bottles. Why wouldn't I want to buy a case? But he he asked me three times. And Lisa was like, "Well, didn't you know? Didn't they didn't they say anything?" And I'm like, "Well, he kept asking me if I really wanted that much, and I I kept saying yes." And she just shook her head and smiled. And apparently, she still loves me, so that's good.
0: All good. All and she, good.
1: and it would be great if she drank beer too, but she just drives me to breweries and drives me home. It's nice that she uh, she indulges me. I don't I always joke with people that I'm I don't do heroin, I don't do cocaine, I just do craft beer. And so she drives me places. So, which is nice. So, sir, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this podcast. We talked a little bit about a photojournalism. I think you're you're. I can't wait. When it, when do we get? When is the the time lapse again going to premiere?
0: I am hoping that we can get that pounded out by the uh, middle of next week.
1: Okay, awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, I will I will send a link to. Uh, I will put a link with the podcast after I get it edited, and you're project is finished. I want to tell you that one of the secret reasons why I asked you about this was because our kind of our shared history of being photojournalists in Iowa and, uh, you know, being in school about the same time and kind of having the same job. I Of course, I'm the associate editor now. I don't take pictures for the paper anymore, at least as a job. I mean, occasionally I do. But anyway, was that at an editor's meeting a week ago, we got an into a discussion about new Glarus beer and where, and I said the exact same thing that you just said about a new Glarus being or the spotted cow being, uh, an excellent beer in that ilk. It's not my thing. I like other beers from new Glarus. And my editor said, Hey, if you, if you like beer so much, how about you write us a beer column? (laughs) and so I said, okay, how, how often he goes, well, can you do it twice a week? And I'm like, okay. Uh, so I needed to pick your brain on how to do this. So that was my circuit secret dirty reason for sneaking you into the podcast to pick your brain and get a podcast episode out out of it. Um, I'm not, I, I guess the last question I have for you just quick before we go you didn't know this much about beer 10 years ago, did you? Or, and is this is knowledge you've all gained in the process of doing this? Or were you an expert when you started?
0: Well, uh, I, 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 I never was, nor am I an expert. It, It is, it is from, it is from the largesse and kindness of brewers across the country, especially in Iowa. Um, a lot of South Dakota, Nebraska brewers are just a, that'll just sit down and talk to me, and I'll ask questions, and some of it'll be industry insider stuff, and they're kind enough to answer them, and we'll sit down and have a beer and just talk. And you know, my my having done this sort of mirrors the rise of the craft beer industry in the state of Iowa. So you know, I, I've I've had nothing to do with that other than to be an observer and take notes and being able to. To hopefully correctly relay to to readers what I have learned um, but it, it's it's I, there's always been an interest there I've always tried to seek out whether it was food or wine or coffee or beer or back when I used to smoke cigars things that were unique and more flavorful and more interesting I uh, You know, maybe it's a photographer thing, but I tend to get bored easily with the same old, same old. So I always try this beer, then try that beer. And I'd go on vacation, I'd try that beer, and I'd bring some back. And friends would go on vacation, I'd say, well, you know, if if you're down there and you can bring back some Cigar City, that Maduro Brown is really good stuff. You know, things like that. So it was just kind of – you just kind of soak all this up. And as many people did, I started collecting beer cans in the 70s, and that led to – books on beer and brewing that I got even when I was in middle school. So I was reading about, uh, oh, wow. Michael Jackson. So I, w- I had a copy of Michael Jackson's world guide to beer when I, uh, when I was in middle school and I, I ate that up, uh, reading it. Cause it was just, I found it fascinating. Um, uh, not, not the alcohol portion of it, but the business, the socioeconomic things, the, my other degrees in sociology. So just how beer bonds Towns and regions and friends and families together, especially when you go back to, to Europe. I I always found that fascinating. And 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 as you probably know, the uh, the people that are involved in the craft beer industry, especially in the state of Iowa, are the nicest, most oh absolutely giving people. You know they are they are com- they are competitors, and we they in no way, shape, or form is the craft beer market in Iowa saturated. Uh, there will always be spots for breweries that are doing good work. and And but breweries that you would think would be competitors uh, to Davenport breweries or to Sioux City breweries, they're doing collaborations. They're talking, they're sharing information. you know they're they're not sharing secret formulas. They're not sharing business plans. But you know those, you know it's I I know cases of a of a brewery in Cedar Rapids that was starting up that talked to another brewery in Cedar Rapids. I'm having problems with this. What can I do? And they're they're freely giving up information. Um, I've had discussions with an Iowa brewer uh, whose father is in a different industry, and kind of took them to task. Uh, Why are you why are you? Why are you giving them that? You you learn that the hard way. Let them figure it out. And, you know, it was a competitive thing. And the response was, oh, well, I have the answer. Why do they need to learn it the hard way? Because it sucked learning it the hard way. I can help this person out. If I'm going to beat them, I'm going to beat them by making better beer or being faster or being smarter. I'm not going to beat them because I'm not going to tell them something. And that's that's what I enjoy so much about the craft beer industry of the state of Iowa is just that – That pervasive sense of family and uh, to the extent that I've been allowed to observe that, it's just been remarkable. Always blows me
1: away how nice people in the craft beer. And and what I like about the vibe of craft beer was when if you go to a brewery and you're there having a beer, it's a communal, more of a communal event as opposed to when we were in, in college and you went out to the bars and it was people were on, for lack of a better term, the make. And so you were out drinking and you were looking to meet somebody. And so, but I, when you go out to a brewery, you can have a discussion with about anybody without any tension about any other subject, about whatever. And it's just so just relaxing. I was in great river and I was wearing an Iowa shirt and this guy in a Nebraska shirt stops me and goes, Bob. And I'm like, I'm not Bob. And he's like, You're not Bob. You look like Bob. And I'm like, I'm still not Bob. And I'm like, what do you how do you like your new coach? He's like, I love him. I think he's going to do great. And he's like, how do you you know how's Iowa look this year? And I'm like, well, I think they look pretty good. I think they'll be I think they'll be good. And he's like, oh, cool. It's really great talking to you. I'm like, oh, really? Remember, I'm not Bob. If I see somebody that looks like (laughs) me, I'll send them over to you. He's like, great. If you were in a sports bar, you would not have had that conversation with an Iowa fan and a Nebraska fan. It wouldn't have happened. So it's just a, that kind of communal feeling that you say that, you know, I, I was at in Cedar Rapids at Iowa Brewing and they were having a release and my wife and I went there and, oh, man, I they were out of what I really wanted and trying all this stuff and it was all really good and I have really had a great time. And my wife and I were walking back to our car, and it turns out the two guys that that run it or own it or whatever were standing on the sidewalk to get to where my car was. And I'm like, "Hey guys, great job!" And he's like, "All okay, right, what did you like about it?" And so I, so they were picking my brain a little bit, and and then he reaches and he's like, "Oh, I want you to have these." So he pulls, he's got all these like free keychains and stuff in his pocket, and he has, he's like, "Oh, I want you to have this and take this." And he's like, "Oh, thank you so much for coming. Come back anytime." And I'm like. This is why I, and I turned to my wife as we walked away and I said this is why I love craft beer cuz like you have a conversation in the middle of a sidewalk walking back to your car and the and the owner wants to give you keychains because you like his beer. I mean I mean I got plenty of keychains but it was the the thought that counted. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I can't thank you enough. This was great. I, I, if I, you no, know, if I can learn half as much as you and do as have a good a job of of this alleged beer column I'm supposed to write. Um, uh, I'm still in the planning stages. Then, then, then I will have been a success. I, I can't, I can't oh, thank you enough.
0: Well, you're more than welcome, and I'm I'm sure you'll uh, you'll knock that one out of the park. And if you have any questions or anything, as always, just just give me a shout.
1: All right, thanks, man. Good luck with the project, and uh, send me a, a tweet or a text, and let me know when it's up, and so I can make sure I can and uh, let everybody know about it.
0: We'll do. Thanks, Todd.
1: All right, thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye.
0: The Talking Pictures podcast is produced by Todd Meisner with help from Todd Welvert, Meg McLaughlin, Jessica Gallagher, and Gary Crambeck with a special thanks to Laura Frames and Laura Anderson-Shaw. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog at talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Make sure you never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Talking Pictures podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or any place podcasts are distributed.